the successes that we see in the department are driven by the efforts of those that work day in and day out directly with our students. We have a, a group of residential instructors that are intrinsically motivated to do well for their students because they care deeply for them and because they take pride in their important role of supporting their learning and growth as, as people. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. TSVBI's residential program provides so many meaningful experiences for our students and staff. Before we hear more from Matt Schultz on this exceptional department, we're going to hear from some exceptional students. Part of the evening hours include athletic programs like Wildcat Wrestling. As they just finished a successful season, we're bringing you three of our varsity wrestlers, Darius, Pedro, and Michael, and a brief cameo from Coach Eric Cobble. Our wrestling program is uh, of course a wrestling team and we uh, practice to go to different tournaments like regionals and of course last part of it would be state and to get through state um it's just a club or really club team for people to enjoy wrestling have fun learn a little bit about themselves and get better at wrestling together I'd say it's a great way to get to know people. And as Darius said, yes, we do go to different tournaments like uh, regionals, district, state, if you get through district and regionals. But we also go to SCASB, which is the Southern Conference for Blind Schools. And we have... We go up against different schools for the blind from around the country. Typically, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, and um, Oklahoma. Thank you. And this year, we were going to go to Alabama, but due to COVID, we were not able to do that. Actually, this is my first year, so it's been actually a pretty great experience having Darius as my captain, Mike, as a team member, and just learning lots of stuff from them. So, okay, yeah, just having 18 members, just pretty great experience after all. Now, I heard you guys went pretty far this year, right? You got to go to some local competitions. You want to tell me a little bit about that and how your season went? First tournament I went to, I was legit, like, just, it was just me. Myself, Eric, and Brandon, and 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 my mom, my mom, and my little sister. I would say, going to a, a tournament by yourself isn't as fun as going to a tournament with your team. But you would notice from your first tournament, that then on to your last tournament, that you get like very, you get better. You have more experience, and also it it kind of gives you a chance to like meet new people, socialize, and get to know other wrestlers. Like in one of my, I'll say the last tournament I went to, I met this guy. And 
you know, we talked a lot and he taught me some stuff, some of the stuff I already knew. But it's really a great way to, one, get better at wrestling, but also have fun with it. I do have to say that I think we had a really good season. I have to give my teammates a, since not all of them are here, a metaphorical pat on the back. I'm going to throw myself under the bus here. I think I could have done a lot better this season, mindset-wise. I wasn't always 100% there. But despite that, I still pulled through to the tournaments I went to. I won a few. I lost a few. But I had fun with it. I learned a lot. Stuff that I think I can really use to help myself next season. And I do have to say that uh, it don't matter where you are. If you want to do wrestling, it's a really good experience. And I think you should give it a try. Yeah, I'd say the same because it's just really fun. Just learning moves with everybody and just knowing that you can do something that some people don't know that you can do is pretty motivational. Just helps you throughout life see things a different way, I guess. Will you all do wrestling next year? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Pedro, you just brought up a really good point. Like you said, uh, going up against different people and learning things with different people. These people may or may not know you, especially at tournaments. They're not going to know you. So, like when we went to uh, San Marcos, they underestimated us, and we surprised them heavily. Ooh, we that we cool. went out there and we showed them we meant business. We were not here to mess around, and we did a good job. I would say that. If they don't know you and they know that you're blind, a lot of people, I'm not saying everybody, would probably underestimate you. And it's kind of cool to, you know, if you have a good amount of vision as a visually impaired person to see their face when they're surprised. They're like, oh, crap, he got that move for real. Or they're like, oh, is that the blind kid? Da, 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 da. Of course, you don't want to be known as the blind no. kid per se, but it's it's fun and I think if anybody can come out and try to get better at wrestling, you know, but I would say try try to keep your head in the game. You don't have to be super like I want to train all the time, but have fun with it, but also know that you know, if you want if you like it, try to get better at it. <laughs> Something I've been telling myself for a good minute you've been doing a really good job bro thank you. you thank you this is well i count this as my second year doing wrestling because we didn't have a chance to do it last year but something i've been telling myself since that first year is okay i'm on the battlefield i'm in a battle i am in a fight i'm fighting to win and i know they say Oh, win, lose, or draw, you're still going to do amazing. My mindset, and I can guarantee you that you two will agree with me here too, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I want to win. I, I would say do everything that you've been taught and also go with your gut and also just 
understand that you are going to lose and win battles because everybody in the back of their mind has that drive to say, I want to win this. Everybody wants to win. But, you know, you have good days, you have bad days, you have good uh, matches, you have bad matches. And I think you still keep that. I would say I still try to keep that in my head personally that I want to win. But at the same time, I'm there to get experience and to, you know. I concur with that. Yeah. Of course, everybody wants to win. I, you know what I mean? Yeah, as, as the first time wrestling, it's, it's, I've heard it's all about instinct, but sometimes your mind just goes blank and you don't know what to do. I do got a question for you. Yeah? At the beginning, uh, did, were you ever scared? No, just That's good. having an open mind, wanting to know what, what's next. That's good. Mostly because the first time that I went up against Kanye, he just picked me up and slammed me. That was, <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah, that. that was pretty amazing. <laughs> heard about that. But to any new wrestlers that's just joining, it's all about repetition, training-wise. I think you continuously do something over and over and over, it does become instinct to you. Comes muscle memory. Eric taught me this move a couple years ago called the what was it, hip toss we call it the hip toss other people might call it something different that's you know one one of my go-to moves for all y'all people that might be listening to this just one of my go-to moves you know what i mean i'm coming back next year stronger since since we're sharing those things something i've been working on and something that i feel i've gotten better at and I, as a go-to move for me is the double leg the, i i Still need to work on that one, though. <laughs> and I know. What about you, Pedro? You got a secret move or something you're working on? Um, Just fighting offensively, because in the beginning of the school year, we were just um, fighting defensively. And I've seen that it doesn't matter how defensive you are, just they're always going to be off offensive against you, so why not just go for it? That's all I've been working on, being offensive. I mean, Pedro, since the beginning of the year, you came in, you worked your butt off, and I just saw the drive that you had. You know what I mean? You were working out a good, you were working out a lot. Let's just say that. You were working out a lot. And it really encouraged me to, like, you know, get that mindset of continuously improving. It doesn't matter what level you're at, high, you know what I mean, what you consider is high or low, just continuing from where you are. Some people might have better skill levels or be a better overall wrestler, but what makes a good wrestler is you're continuously going from the level that you're at. Just building everything up. That's all I think about. I would just like to say these guys went up against UIL players or teams like uh, from San Antonio to the Valley to uh, Darius was up in, uh, he wrestled Waco, Dallas kids. So it was a bunch of kids these guys went up against. I just want everyone to know um, they did a very good job. You know, these these guys recited and, you know, like Darius said, they was like, here come the blind students. And before most tournaments was over, they knew their names and they, was inter they were like interacting with them off the wrestling mat as well as on the wrestling mat. So, like they said, we still got a long way to go. And I'd like to congratulate these gentlemen. They did a fine job from, from the beginning, from the running part, from the, you know, the, the grind. The love, as I call it. The agonizing pain. The agonizing love. I like to call it love. So we went from love 
from running to weights to the mats. These guys did a great job. I'm very proud of them. Thank you. You got a very fun definition of love, Eric. <laughs> One of the best parts from wrestling season has been um, me not being able to do like one pull up in the beginning of school year to now being able to do like 15 in a row, not being able to do like run a mile to being able to run two miles nonstop. That's that's pretty great for fitness wise. Uh, it's helped me build up my endurance and wrestling really helped me with that. The conditioning part really. And just keeping that up even when we weren't doing the conditioning and we were just getting into doing the moves. Well, anything else you all would like to add? Anyone you want to thank or any last words? I want to thank my mom, my dad for, you know, helping me learn working out from at a young age, you know. Put me, put me, <laughs> put me through this workouts as a young kid. I want to thank Eric. I want to, I just want to thank everybody who supported me. Uh, I want to thank you guys as an audience for supporting us. And, and I want to thank my teammates. I want to thank y'all all for, you know, I'm learning from y'all. Y'all learning from me. So, and also would just say congratulations to everybody. I want to thank my mom for always believing in me and pushing me to uh, continue with wrestling. I want to thank my coaches, Eric, Brandon, Zach, Chris, Eddie. I want to thank my teammates. I want to thank our, our, <laughs> our entire TSB community. Thank you all, and thank you to my teammates. Yeah, well, I'd like to thank them too. Um, <laughs> my sisters, my grandma my twin brother because he's always been there for me just friends Darius just everybody everybody's been so great and I've learned a lot this year so thanks to everybody thank you thank you the TSBVI community is really proud of these young men and their teammates and coaches to share more about how we enrich the lives of students on our campus here is our residential director, Mr. Matt Schultz. So tell us a little bit about your uh, career path and why you were drawn to lead our residential and even our weekends home transportation programs. Sure. 2019, you sure it wasn't 2009? <laughs> Pretty sure it was. <laughs> it might have been. Uh, the move to residential, to residential, I think it was just the right opportunity at the right time for me. Uh, what appealed to me about the opportunity was to work within that the TSBVI team-based structure. It's something that I think is somewhat unique about our school, and uh, it requires a lot of intensive collaboration uh, as part of that job, back and forth communication, interaction, uh, team-based planning and problem solving. I enjoy that kind of action, you know, uh, especially when it's around individual kids working with their, their team and their families uh, to make things work as they adapt to, to life away from home. I knew that that was a tradition within the residential department, and so that, that was definitely appealing. I also think I had learned in my in my five years in outreach. I had learned some things that uh, I thought were really interesting to me as a as a person and as a professional. Specifically, topics related to how to foster kind of uh, healthy development and growth in children, but but adults too. 
And uh, I, I looked at the the move as an opportunity to put some of that theory into practice a little bit. Um, and then, uh, having been at the school prior to my time in outreach, working in the school day, I, I, I had a lot of respect for the, the job that the residential team took on. I knew how important positive relationships were uh, to that department, uh, within their department, and with the, the, the students and with our other departments on campus. And so I, I kind of wanted to be a part of that. That that intensive interaction was appealing to me with with within the department, with the school day, and working with families. So that's that's kind of what drew me to the department. I remember one time I had said to you that I just really miss like the work, the day to day work we were doing with students and. And um, and that it, the the application of all the things I've been trained to do, and you and you said, oh, I don't find that at all. I just apply it to my new work now. <laughs> I was like, I never thought about connecting it to adults, like you just said. Like it applies to all of us as humans. I that's the one thing we all have in common, right? Yeah. yeah. Would you mind taking a moment to describe just the structure of the program, like maybe how dorm assignments are made or what a typical shift might look like? Well, dorm assignments are, are made in conjunction with classroom or, or team assignments, right? We look at age, gender, grade, all those things kind of factor heavily in the equation. Um, but we also really like to talk about uh, what's the right peer group for these students? Who, who do the kids get along with the most? Who are they drawn to? Who are they most interested in? You know, they're on the dorm uh, uh, after school and then overnight, That's a, it's, it's two thirds of their day. And so we want to make sure it's the right, the right social fit for the kids. And we really think about what environment is going to make them feel the most comfort, comfortable, excuse me, knowing that comfort uh, goes along with feelings of safety and security. And, and those are necessities for, for a residential uh, a placement environment. Uh, structurally, you know, we have 12 dorms across campus and four student apartments. Each dorm and the apartment cluster has a manager. Residential instructors are assigned to a dorm side to work with a specific group of students. Uh, the number of students on each dorm side varies, you know, uh, as few as two, as many as seven or eight, depending on kind of the age of the student, the grade, the level of independence, the level of communication, of, of kind of uh, self-direction. And then schedule-wise, the RIs come to work not long before the students are dismissed from school and stay until uh, bedtime. Uh, when the evening RIs leave, an overnight RI arrives and supervises our student uh, during the, the overnight hours uh, before the teaching assistants arrive in the morning. You know, that came up in a conversation recently. I was talking to a superintendent at another school for the blind, and they have in the mornings a four-hour shift for mm. their residential team to come in, help the students get ready, and then bridge that gap between residential and the school day. And um, when one of her questions was, how can we collaborate more with school day and residential? And I said, well, we do some crossover. So the TAs actually go to the dorms in the morning, which I didn't know until I was in the superintendent role. Yeah. And then after school, the residential folks come in before the kids get out. So there's a little bit of shift crossover. Yeah. Shared spaces are important, I think, to building relationships and kind of getting gaining perspective. It pr pr yeah. uh, proposes or, or uh, presents some challenges sometimes, yeah. but but mostly I think it helps build relationships. Well, I was thinking about it. If we didn't have that morning TA really going into the dorms, they might not ever see that part of a student's day. Right. Which is pretty cool. Right. So. 
Hmm. Well, and they're using the same kitchen that the the dorm uses at night when they're cooking breakfast, and so they're sharing refrigerators and 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 cleaning up the space. And I, I think that that builds a natural bridge between the the shifts and the staff. So, so before we talk a little bit more about what's happening now, I'm curious if what you think are pros. We know the cons, I guess, of becoming a director of residential during the pandemic, um, but I think there was also some pros to it. So yeah. what do you think? Pros and cons? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, there wasn't much time to kind of dip my foot in the water or dance around things. It was it was dive head first into it, right? I mean, boom, we're faced with this pretty significant uh, challenge from day one, a global pandemic. Um, so there wasn't a playbook, you know, and, and so within our department and within our school, as you well know, Emily, we had to reinvent how we um, provide instruction and support both in the classroom and the, on, on the dorm in a way that kept everyone safe. And it was hard, mm-hmm. you know, and it was tiring uh, and it was worth it. Uh, but I, I'm using the term, the the verb was, it, it's still going on, right? You know, this pandemic is is, is still going on and so it's still tiring and, and we're still having to think of new ways to provide really good instruction and keep everyone uh, safe uh, from illness. And so, you know, that was hard, but I think that we we relied on each other within our department to to provide support and guidance, and uh, we tried to listen and and adjust as necessary. If we came out of there with, or if we're emerging out of there with increased levels of trust, then that's a pro. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like it is moving in that direction. Uh, it was an opportunity for me, new in that role, to learn so much about uh, the value and importance of communication, of transparency, uh, of strategic planning, you know, really trying to think ahead and think about what's coming and have a plan A, B, and C ready. Uh, uh, the pandemic has kind of ingrained that in me, that we need three plans for everything. Uh, but I also think it may be the biggest pro might be that it was an opportunity to remember as a, you know, a decision maker or someone that has a seat at the table for decisions that when we're looking at the, the information, trying to figure out which, which decision to make or which direction to go on, to not separate our decision-making process from, from our humanity, from, from who we are as people, and knowing how important keeping lines of communication open with uh, uh, the, the people that our decisions impact, our students, our families, and our staff. And so uh, I, I won't forget those lessons. Well, your department was one of the first ones that had to come back to campus, you know, mm-hmm. in its entirety, probably the first one that we had to come back in its entirety. And uh, we talked a lot about how resilient your people are, like not your people, our people, but the well, residential. and the residential people who had been doing it for yeah. years. And I know Shelley and Garner would would make comment. Those are the Shelley and Garner, the prior residential directors for for like thirty years. Yeah. they would always mention that that the, our people are resilient and they're used to problem solving and they're used yeah. to making adjustments. And 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 boy, I think it I think it showed. You know, we saw it, and yeah. nobody will forget what those first days were. No. Coming back to campus, those yeah. I think it left a, a mark on people's lives, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're all grateful for them, that's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> 
speaking of the, you know, the residential program, some people think of it as just like they might think of it as after school care or, you know, like like I've got teenagers, they come home after school and they just crash in their rooms <laughs> and stare at their phones. I don't know. what. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope there's more to their lives. But <laughs> sometimes that's what it looks like. But our program is I think it's a pretty huge in the part of our students' lives. So what role do you think it plays in our students' education? Yeah, I I think it plays a big role. I I think the foundation of any good education uh, involves feelings of safety and security paired with opportunities for risk and adventure. And I think that that combination can only occur in the context of a trusted relationship or trusted relationships. And so we work in an environment where our students literally lay their head down to sleep. It is their home away from home. I, I think that 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 four-letter word home is a sacred word, and, and I think we take that responsibility as being the home away from home really seriously. And and every kid on this campus, every student that we have at TSBVI has to face that challenge of being separated from their parents and, and their loved ones and their siblings. And, and that's hard too. And we shouldn't uh, ever forget that. And I, and I think that our department, uh, our residential instructors that work every day, shoulder to shoulder with our students know that. And that's why there is such a focus on, on having these special relationships, uh, helping our students feel safe, feel trusted, uh, feel truly seen by the people around them. And, and and it's only through that that they're ready for learning, right? That the trusted relationships are a prerequisite for learning. Uh, and, and then as a, as a residential school, I think that, that that just becomes magnified, right? I also think the dorm environment lends itself to natural opportunities for instruction, certainly daily living skills, stuff like cooking and cleaning and maintenance and upkeep of possessions is something that, that every kid uh, uh, gets opportunities to learn on the dorm. And then there's there's another big one, right? Social skills. Uh, after all, it's a communal living environment, um, and each student's actions directly impact the uh, the others in their environment. So their dormmates, their classmates, and that can be a lot to navigate. You know, some some people listening might have a few teenagers in their house. Well, uh, and I don't, so I'm not. But I re- I recognize how challenging that might be. But we have dorms where there's uh, 14 or 16 teenagers on it, and so. Uh, uh, fortunately, our dorm staff, our, our eyes, our managers, our residential teachers are really good at helping our students navigate those social relationships. Uh, the school day team, the behavior team, the counseling team, the, the teachers' advisors are really great about providing guidance. That they're, We have that team-based problem-solving uh, mechanism in place for that. And so there's never a night without uh, opportunity for our students to, to improve their social skills. I know you also offer a lot of enrichment activities and athletics, and and those tend to happen in the afternoon for any school. But um, when it happens for our school, it means our residential team sort of has to take the lead on a lot of that. So what offerings do we have on our campus for yeah. students? Well, we have this athletic department, right? Yeah. Uh, Mark Ronquist and Tammy Reed are our athletic directors. And so under their guidance, our coaches, Eric Cobble, Brandon Bradshaw, and Tierra Bradshaw, offer uh, goal ball opportunities, uh, wrestling, track and field, and cheer uh, throughout the year. 
Um, and, and of course, the residential instructors that work with the students that participate in those activities support them uh, in the evening and, and on the weekends and various tournaments, right? Getting ready to go to Alabama and Mississippi this year for, for our athletic teams. And then from an enrichment perspective, you know, if anyone is walking around campus on any given night, uh, you might see uh, evening bike rides happening, uh, evening yoga classes or martial arts classes have happened in the evening in the past, music lessons, music mania, which is kind of like a karaoke party. Uh, we have outdoor movie nights, dances. Uh, our, our exit team has been organizing uh, a kind of adult-style potlucks uh, this year. Uh, and then our res teachers provide evening instruction in, in areas like social skills and in, in specific independent living areas. I just uh, observed a nice housing lesson last night where kids were learning about uh, everything you needed to know about uh, uh, before you rent an apartment, you know. Oh. Um, so lots of, lo- there's just lots of great natural learning opportunities in the evening. They were, they were Googling prices in their home community oh. and comparing them to prices in the Austin market, which uh, is certainly a good thing for our students to understand. Yeah, that's important because a lot of them talk about living in Austin because they go to school here, they mm-hmm. like it here, and then that's an important factor. You, you can't not talk about how are you going to afford to live here. Heck yeah. Well, talking about student programming, um, outside of the school day, what components do you think are the most important? Yeah, it's such a good question. It's a tough one to answer, <laughs> right? But the areas I mentioned earlier come to mind, right? Independent living skills, social skills. Uh, but from a planning perspective, we don't end there. Um, we really place an emphasis at the beginning of the year or any time a new student comes on uh, starting to, to get to know that student for who they are and building that relationship, partnering with their families. You know, what is this kid's interest? What what makes them tick? What what uh, makes them giggle? Uh, what are they kind of curious about? Uh, what what things don't make them giggle? You know, <laughs> uh, those things we, we have to be discovered right away, right? And so we pr- try to provide opportunities and in the things that they're interested in, but also provide opportunity for exploration on things that they, they maybe didn't didn't know existed, uh, which can be a really fun, th- you know, process. Um, and then I think there's some kind of foundational questions that we ask ourselves as a as a residential team at the beginning of each year in thinking about what programming, uh, what evening routines might look like for each kid. You know, thinking about what activities or routines that we can create that will help the student feel independent. Uh, what can we do? What opportunities can we provide to help uh, foster a sense of agency in this student? That's such a big part of our instruction at night and during the day. You know, making sure our students have an opportunity to feel like they can impact their environment, um, that they're an agent of change. We ask ourselves what activities or routines can we plan that will help the student feel successful. Uh, sometimes students come here with with having limited uh, feelings of success from from their schooling, and so that's something that's very important to start from right away as we build that relationship. How do we foster that sense of competence within each of them? And then and then the third big one is what activities or routines can we uh, uh, provide opportunities in that will help the students feel connected? I talked earlier about what it's like. Uh, I imagine how difficult it is for our students being separated from their families. And so how do we connect them to their peers? Uh, how do we help foster a sense of belonging in this new environment? Uh, I was reminded of this uh, a couple times recently. Uh, we've got a, a great residential instructor, um, Mike Alexander, 
Dorm 656, who is supporting the students on him dorm, his dorm side and uh, collecting canned and uh, non-perishable foods as part of a food drive. And throughout that process, they're learning how to, to organize things and, and send messages to people and, and collect the cans and the, and the goods and talk about food insecurity in communities and what resources exist. And they're the ones that are helping others. And sometimes our students don't find themselves on that side of the help equation. And I think it's important for kids to feel what it feels like to help someone, to, to experience that sense of generosity. And so Mike and, the, and Tammy Reed is manager on 656 is helping those guys with that. I also uh, watched uh, some great uh, learning in, in Deaf Club this this week. Mm-hmm. So some of our deafblind students get together on a weekly basis, uh, and they call it Deaf Club. And this week they were working together uh, to make hot chocolate kits in jars. And so there was a lot of problem solving that had to be done where they had to communicate directly with, with their peers and the staff was there just to kind of facilitate those conversations and questions and collaboration. Uh, it, was, it was awesome. They were having a ball and, and, and they were learning skills while they were having fun and, and that's really what we're shooting for. And so helping our kids build that sense of community uh, is so important. How has your department been able to incorporate additional learning opportunities for staff? Like, how are you working it all in? Well, it's been a work in progress, you know, uh, and COVID kind of presented opportunities and limitations in that area. You know, Zoom certainly had its advantages. We did a lot of Zoom con- Zoom content throughout the pandemic. I am of the, the mindset that it's it's just not the same, you know, as, as uh, sitting in a room with your colleague, listening to the same message, uh, talking about it in breaks or as you walk to and from the auditorium figuring out how that content uh, meets the needs or, or uh, of your students and so I think you know uh, hopefully we're, we're, we're moving our way forward through the pandemic and an end is in sight and as that public health situation improves uh, I think I hope our, our training does as well I hope we, had, we do more in-person stuff some new opportunities uh, that we're rolling out that I'm excited about include this um, a new RI training sequence that we've just started this year we're just planning our second session uh, where we take some time to provide newer staff with information about our school, about uh, our departmental philosophy, our processes, uh, but also just spending time in the same room together, getting to know each other as people, and it, it's it's been really fun. But we, we've also been able to add a training week to our annual calendar uh, where residential instructors and TAs uh, will receive a week of training in August that really focuses on student health and safety, topics like positive behavior, interventions, and support, med sponsor training, CPR, mental health first aid. Um, We're going to dive into some accessibility issues that I think is an important topic that we haven't done enough on in the past, orientation and mobility. And so having a week to provide kind of annual training that's outside of the context of our prep week that happens the following week, I think will uh, help people feel uh, more prepared and they'll have more time to process uh, the information. And I think it'll, it'll, um, produce a, a, a staff that's more ready to go into the school year uh, and a campus that's that's safer and, and staff that are uh, more informed. And so we're excited about that opportunity. So you have already talked about this a little bit, but your crew is a pretty tight-knit group. They've A lot of them have been here for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in what ways have you promoted a positive culture within the residential department that um, to continue that sense of community? When I think about the culture and how it's continued, I, I think that 
the culture is most clearly passed on and propelled forward by our most experienced staff. I think uh, that the culture of teamwork, of talking and listening, of problem solving, fixing things on the fly like we were talking about earlier, uh, working to plan for the scene and unforeseen is something that, that has been done in the past and our experienced people demonstrate it and model it for people and I think there's no better way to learn than that, you know. Uh, they see the conversations, uh, the questions being asked and, and hopefully answers being provided, you know, that's the, the mechanism for problem solving, right? Uh, how we keep the focus on our students and their best interest, all those things are modeled on a daily and nightly uh, basis on the dorms. And I, uh, there's a story that I could share, I think, that uh, illustrates the positive culture. Um, after we had come back to campus and, uh, you know, uh, we were working with masks on and we were potted uh, and we weren't mixing the student groups even on various dorm sides. And so the, the staff uh, felt isolated from each other. And, and I would imagine the students did as well. And so some of our great, uh, well, Jen Heisel is a great manager, and Itza Perez is a really uh, uh, spectacular residential instructor. They recognized this feeling within themselves, and I, I, I think they recognized it in others. And so they took action, and, and they um, asked staff uh, throughout the department to share photographs of uh, dorm sides having fun with kids. And they collected the photos and they put it together in, in kind of like a, a photo periodical that, that they refer to now as the, uh, the paw print. The third edition is coming out in January. Oh, so they published two editions of the paw print that year where staff got to open it up and see what uh, 661 was doing for fun or see what uh, 651 was doing for fun or the, the students in the FUSA apartments. And uh, I think everyone really enjoyed seeing those photographs and and, and seeing how people across campus were overcoming the obstacles and were feeling uh, connection with the students and, and the students were having fun and learning and, and those photographs were really needed evidence in a time where, where we were experiencing disconnection. And I, that's a tradition that, that uh, Jen and are continuing now uh, this year. And so it's leaders like them that propel that student-centered culture through actions like that. I'm excited about the night. I didn't know they were still doing it. So that's They were. Great. And, you know, the, those photographs were shared with families, too. Oh, cool. And so, because we haven't talked a lot about that, right, but how scary it's been for our families throughout mm -hmm. this process. And to, to get that, that evidence, you know, yeah. uh, that static form of, oh, look at these kids having fun, I think was really uh, a, a boost to their fears and concerns uh, when they were weighing all these difficult decisions that families had to weigh. I do think it's important to... to to make a couple points. One is that um, we're talking about TSBVI residential programming, offerings, culture, and we have to mention Garner Vote and Shelly Allen. They were the co-directors. They were in the job for, for like 30 years. Uh, and so all everything we discussed was came out of their efforts and their vision uh, and their collaborations with our longtime staff. And so they just, you know, did some, I think, remarkable things uh, when you compare us to other schools from the blind across the country. And so Garner and Shelley 
were kind of amazing people that did an amazing <laughs> job, and that that uh, needs to be said. Uh, but also, I want to mention that the the successes that we see in the department are driven uh, by the efforts of those that work day in and day out directly with our students. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the ones that make the most difference. Uh, we have a, a group of residential instructors that are intrinsically motivated to do well for their students uh, because they care deeply for them and because they take pride in their important role of supporting their learning and growth as, as people. Uh, that comes from, from within them, and, and so we're lucky to have such uh, talented and dedicated staff. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. Athletics, dances, karaoke, tutoring, COVID testing, and more. Our residential department has it covered. Thanks to Matt for leading this creative and resilient team. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.